uh, remain standing, comfortably able. Uh, our scripture lesson this morning comes from Psalm 104, uh, verses 1 through 6. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, wrapped in light as with a garment. You stretch out the heavens like a tent. You set the beams of your chambers on the waters. You make the clouds your chariot. You ride on the wings of the wind. You make the winds your messengers, fire and flame your ministers. You set the earth on its foundations so that it shall never be shaken. You cover it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Last week we began a sermon series on the Apostles' Creed, and Drew uh, led us off, did a wonderful job talking about what it means to believe, the first words of the Apostles' Creed, I believe. What, what do we mean when we say that we believe? And today I want us to move forward in the Creed and um, begin with the next phrase, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. It's a big, big topic this morning. I hope you don't have lunch plans, do you? <laughs> Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. <laughs> Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the beautiful words that we just heard from the psalmist. And these are your words, and you should be the one to speak them. So we, we ask that we'd be good hearers, receptors of the words of your Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to ask two questions this morning. The first is, who is God? And the creed tells us who this God is. And the first thing we discover is that God is Father. In Psalm 103, we hear the psalmist say, As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. There are so many other references in the Old Testament to God as Father, also in the New Testament. Jesus, when he invited us to pray, said that we should address God as our Father, our Abba, an intimate term. We should pray with all the confidence and trust of children, knowing that God welcomes, that God loves, and he adores it when we come to him and address him in intimate terms. Jesus continually referred to God as father. His most famous parable was about a loving father to two wayward sons. Some of us had good human fathers, and this is such a comforting thought for us. Some of us did not. Some of us had fathers who deeply hurt us. Some of us had fathers who were absent, who were not available. And maybe for some it is difficult to use this language and to see and imagine in our minds that God is a father without bumping into some painful memories. You know, in our, in our postmodern world, it has become rather um, fashionable to see things that are broken and fallen and then try and reimagine them. If something's not working, if something's problematic, if in the past sins were committed, then we ought to stop adhering to any of that language or any of those thoughts or listening to those people, and we ought to reimagine and make everything relevant and present. There have been many challenges in recent years in the church, even, to the idea of speaking of God as Father, 
Too much patriarchy, they say. Too much baggage. <clears throat> Let's reimagine God with new genderless metaphors or images. And maybe we can image and, and understand God the way we want God to be. With an image or metaphor that is more agreeable or acceptable to us. This past week, I saw an, online a, a Christian celebrity influencer was talking about this, saying, you know, God as Father, it's, it's just too much patriarchy and so much bad. And this was kind of created for, by the church or the, the creed writers um, because they were men and they wanted God as a man. And so we've got to get rid of that language and reimagine God and make, it, make God more acceptable. And then the exploration began to make God language different and relevant and current and, and now and today. And on one level, I, I guess I do understand this. I mean, God does want to be known. He wants us to know Him. He wants us to understand Him and receive Him and love Him. But He also told us this is the way to do it. And this is the language that you should use. The creed, the Apostle Creed then is a great help to us because it keeps our minds clear it, it, with less accommodation to current cultural trends. The creeds will not allow us to be captive to our changing moods and desires. One of the reasons why the church has a creed is because we do not trust ourselves. We don't. Our, our moods and our desires and our languages even change over time and we might be tempted to always be reimagining this faith, but when we say the Apostles' Creed every week, we are given something and handed down, and the authors of the creed, the church folk who put this together, have a voice here today. We allow their voice here in this room, and they are saying, this is what we believe, and we need to listen to them. And they began their creed, their confession, saying, let's address God as Father. Now, this is not literal, and that does not mean that God does not have feminine qualities and that God is a literal, actual Father. But when we say Father, we know what that means. We can visualize. It's important to have language to hold on to. Jesus encourages us and the authors of the Apostles' Creed to think of God as the ideal Father with a father's heart and a father's love and a father's strength. Everything you would wish for in an ideal father. And Jesus encourages us that this father is welcoming, receptive, and wonderful, and good, and beautiful. And our challenge as a church is to keep that language, even if current trends mean it's problematic, but to keep it and then Think on these things that are lovely and beautiful and we look at Jesus and we see how he acted and we learn about God's character. He's a good father. He's beautiful and tender and caring. I think it's a mistake to abandon this language. I think the creed helps us and reminds us. But he's not just father. The creed also says that he is almighty. Listen to the words of the psalmist that I read this morning. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. Years ago, there was a 
um, film, popular film, hard to watch film called Schindler's List. You may recall in the movie that the commandant of the Nazi concentration camp was very tender toward his wife and his own children. And yet at the same time he was extremely cruel, horrifically cruel to the prisoners of that concentration camp. <clears throat> in his home he believed in a loving, forgiving, and father-like God. In the camp his was an almighty God who was who is blessing the Nazi cause and therefore permitted even and encouraged the persecution of Nazi enemies. It, it was as if he had two gods, one for the home, one for the camp. And closer to home, maybe for us, it's all too possible to have a kind of spiritual disconnect in our own lives. Maybe we... Uh, function this way in the home and maybe we function another way in the in the in the tough business world and we have a tender side and the writers of the apostles creed felt it imperative that we keep the words father and almighty linked together when we say i believe in god the father almighty what is at stake here is the manner in which god expresses almightiness God is almighty, but God is not an autocratic dictator or an aloof bureaucrat. God expresses almightiness like a caring parent. You know, you know, wise parents use their power not to coerce, but to free their children, to become all that they were meant to be. In fact, parental power recedes as children grow older. Parental power gives itself away so our children may take responsibility for their own lives. And then this beautiful thing happens as they get older, we become peers. It's, it's a beautiful thing. I, I can't tell you how my, my teenagers literally thought I was the most intellectually challenged person on the planet. I knew nothing. I mean, really did not have any good answer for anything, but... When they get to their mid-twenties, suddenly I become a little bit smarter. <laughs> that is such a beautiful process that I'm discovering now. When you become peers and you look at life and can have conversations together, that's a way of parents using their power. When our children are quite small, we used to ask them sometimes, as parents we do this, uh, when, when kids are really, really little, like we saw Judah this morning, Maybe he's not quite ready, but when we see little kids, we used to do this with Haley. We would say, Haley, how big are you? You remember doing this? How big are you? She wasn't, you know, just a year or so old, two years. She could hardly say anything yet, but she always had the same answer. Haley, how big are you? And she'd raise her hands and she would say, so big, right? Remember this? So big. And... It was like she was trying to tell us, you know, I'm huge. I'm enormous. There's no telling how big I'm going to be. Why do we do this as parents? Well, we want kids to know and think of themselves that they matter, that they're important. Um, we don't want them to think of themselves as small or weak or insignificant. The question is, when we say, God the Father Almighty, how big is your God? 
I wonder if it ought to be a regular call to worship at Mountain View Church. If we walked in and I said, how big is God? And we all responded and said, so big, right? That would be a great call to worship. That's what the creed wants us to see and understand. He is Father, tender, loving, sacrificial, caring. But He's also Almighty, He is able. He is willing. He is much bigger than you or I can imagine. Maybe another way to put it, he's far more influential and active and alive. He's almighty. And we forget that. We're tempted to forget that. The second question this morning is, what does God do? And the first thing we learn is that God is a creator God. He creates. He is the maker of heaven and earth. Again, in the words of Psalm 104, it says about God, You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills, giving drink to every wild animal. The wild asses quench their thirst. By the streams, the birds of the air have their habitation. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. Think about this. The psalmist looking and saying, look at those mountains. They're getting rain. You water them, God. You're doing that right now. You're, you're bringing water in, into the land. You're bringing light and you're bringing dark. God created plants and trees and sun and moon and stars and swimming, swarming, creeping, walking, breathing creatures, all things. In the beginning, God created everything, but He's still creating. His character, His nature is creative. He invented creativity. He's the author of it. See, the psalmist and the Apostles' Creed are arguing against polytheism, which means there are many gods, but is also arguing against pantheism, the idea that God is everything and every in everything and everybody it all belongs to God and he created all things recently on public television they had another Ken Burns special on Benjamin Franklin did you see this it was a a wonderful two-part series and I, I was amazed watching this how intellectually genius Benjamin Franklin was I mean inventor scientist um brilliant uh politician the way he, he, he was like no character in American history. He was so amazing. His parents were Presbyterian. <laughs> and they believed that God was active and sovereign and providential and moving in all things. But Benjamin Franklin, as he looked on the world and he saw tragedy and he saw hardship, inconsistency in his own mind, he decided that God was not active. He admitted that there was a God that created, but then he said God took a vacation, God is absent, God doesn't care. We call this deism sometimes. I remember watching this going, gosh, how could such a smart guy like Benjamin Franklin come up with such a dumb theological statement like this and belief? How could he think like that? And then I caught myself. See, I theologically, I think, have this right. God's active. God's moving. God's directing. God's doing all these things. But how often do I deny that with what I say? Every time I say, oh, that's hopeless. 
Every time I look at a situation and say, well, that's beyond repair. Every time I say, well, you know, he's totaled. That's not going to, he's, he's done for. Or that church is, that's over. Every time I speak words like this, I am acting like Benjamin Franklin thought. Eugene Peterson said, we ought to rid our English language of the word dysfunctional. It ought to be gone. As followers of Jesus, as Christians, as those who affirm the creed, we ought to look at every situation and say, we have a God that is active, who creates, who is doing things, who's making things. He's watering trees and plants. He's bringing this. He's bringing that. There's no end to what he can do. We ought to be so hopeful in every situation, even in the most dire circumstances. We ought to look for what God could do, may be doing, is doing. I love what G.K. Chesterton said. This is one of my favorite quotes. He talked about how, you know how children have this endless capacity? Children have endless capacity. If you throw them up in the air, what do they say? They say, do it again. If you swing them on a swing, they say, do it again. They can do this for days and hours. And they do it again, do it again. Parents, we tire. (laughs) After about three times, we say, no. But listen to what Chesterton said. He said, but perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It's possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And he says every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every single daisy separately, but is never grown tired of making them. Isn't that remarkable? It's a creator God that never tires. He's creating. It may be that he has this incredible appetite of infancy. He's joyful. He's creating. He's moving. Isn't that fabulous? Tonight, God's going to say, do it again, son. Do it again, moon. He never grows tired. How big is God in your life? Do you see a God that's active and is creative, that's moving, that has the opportunity to redeem and reclaim? If so, you also believe in a God who sustains. He's creating, but he is also sustaining. God is at work. Creation is not just something that's way back there. Sometimes we read the Bible, we read the Genesis account, we see that God created, but we should be saying God's creating. He did create heavens and earth, but he keeps on creating. He's not done. He never grows tired. And this should have tremendous impact and implication about how we live. This means that God is also in the chaos. It's tempting to think, well, God's in nature and God's doing positive things. I see that. But maybe he's somehow distant from the chaos. Maybe he's decided to turn away from the hardship and the hard things. Maybe he's not in there. But our creeds and our scriptures will not allow that kind of thinking. 
the early church was remarkable. They were a remarkable group of people because no time in human history had anyone looked at hardship and grief and suffering and looked at it and said, this may be an opportunity. They looked at it as if the gods had turned away and said, you are at fault here, and they took a lot of blame and guilt, but the early church, the believers said, no, even in our suffering and our hardship, God is there and creating and sustaining, and they counted it as a blessing to be able to suffer because they knew that Jesus suffered. This is an amazing thing, and it has great impact in our life. If you and I are going through a hard, difficult valley and season of grief or whatever it may be, we can look at it and say, but I believe in a God who creates. I believe in a God who sustains. I believe in a God that can be found in the midst of this, and something wonderful may be happening here. That doesn't mean it's not hard or difficult, but we never turn up, turn off God, and we never give up hope. God is Father. He's Almighty. He's the Maker, Creator sustainer and then finally he is the redeemer that's for next week